Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 is where we'll look this morning as we study now the last I am statement of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus this morning says to us, I am the true vine. And what does that mean? Uh, Many of us haven't grown up on a farm or we don't really know about how grapes are grown and turned into wine. Um, To understand what Jesus means when he says, I am the true vine, I want to ask you this question. All of us look at our lives and we know that something is out of sorts. Something's wrong. Something needs to change. Here's the question. How? How do we change? How do we change? There are a lot of answers out there. Actually, I want to give you a a, a, a rather comical answer, but one that's very popular today in the world you and I live in. It's from a, uh, a, I guess we could call it a claymation classic. It's not really a classic, uh, but it's called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Um, I'd set up the plot for you for the clip that you're about to see, but frankly, the plot is terrible. It's really bad. You have no reason to watch this film. But I did think that this quote was, uh, was rather telling of how we answered this question of how do we actually really change? Basically, there's a bad guy. And a good guy, the good guy, is supposed to be a young version of Santa Claus. I really am a mean and despicable creature at heart, you know. It's so difficult to really change. Difficult? (laughs) Why, why, look here. Changing from bad to goods is easy as taking your first step. Put one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking across the floor. Put one foot in front of the other. You're going to get that stuck in your head all day, okay? One foot. All right. You can thank me later for that. I told you it was really bad. The bad guy says, it's so difficult to really change. Now, if you say that, apparently, to Santa Claus... He's going to laugh in your face, and he's going to say, no, it's not. If you want to change, then just just change. Just do it. Just reach deep down inside of yourself and gather up all the willpower that that you need and just change. That's not good news, is it? That feels like oppressive news to me. Um. That feels burdensome. It feels depressing. Some of you have tried that your whole life and it's not worked. And now you're at a point in your life where you're about to lose your family, lose your job, lose your community, lose your sanity. And you need to know that the answer to this question, how do we really change, is not just try harder. Well, I have good news for you this morning. The answer is not just try harder. 
The God of the Bible isn't like the gods of other major world religions. God isn't a purse-lipped, finger-wagging, foot-tapping authoritarian who's just waiting for you to finally get your life together. That's not the God we encounter in Scripture. Rather, the God you encounter in Scripture says, yes, you can really change, but you're going to change because you find the source of your change outside of yourself. The key to change, real change, is not just trying harder. It's connecting yourself to Jesus, the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And if you want to change, really change, you need to notice three things this morning. Connecting, depending, and pruning. I'll invite you to listen for that and to stand. I'm going to read our passage, John 15, 1-11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Please be seated. May the words of my mouth, Lord, the meditation of all of our hearts, would they please be pleasing in your sight, our Lord and our rock and our redeemer. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Change. How do we change? How do we really change? Well, the first step to real change is actually connecting yourself to Jesus, Ensuring that you're connected to Jesus, the true vine, the change is going to come from Him. Now, in a world like the world you and I live in, and all the autonomy that pulses through our 21st century veins, that sounds like a shocking proposition. Why? Because we've been fed this narrative our whole lives, that real change actually comes from within right? It comes from the inside. I am the captain of my soul. In the language of this passage, we would say that that you are your own vine in this vineyard we call life. And it's up to you if you're going to sink your roots into the ground and find all the nutrients that you need to produce real fruit. Fruit, of course, that you deem to be real fruit. Oh, and by the way, If you're not producing fruit, it's probably because you're not trying hard enough. 
and you're failing. And if that sounds like a harsh reality, that's because it is. If it sounds like you're being set up for failure, it's because you are. What would it be like to be known as a failure? What would it be like to be known as the biggest failure in your field? Um, I was watching a, a documentary about this this week. Back in 2003, the first round pick of the NBA draft was probably one of the greatest picks ever, LeBron James. Michael Jordan is better, but LeBron James is still a very, very good player. The second pick of that same draft was one of the worst picks ever. That's when a Serbian named Darko Milicic was drafted. He was a total bust. He couldn't produce. He didn't play much because he didn't score much because, frankly, he didn't care much and didn't try very much. And the weight of all of the pressure of being something great was just too much for him. Uh, He sat down and did an interview with ESPN a few years ago. And he said that he used to return home after a game or after practices and punch holes in the walls of his apartment, trash his apartment. This is what he said. I was so lost. I really came to hate basketball. I just wanted to come back home and live another life. The whole world was watching him. The whole world was judging him and deeming him inadequate, fruitless, an unproductive failure. And he wanted to crawl out of his own skin and escape to another life. That's the despair of living an autonomous life. Jesus wants to spare you that sort of despair. And this is why he actually disparages this idea of autonomy right here in this passage. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Do you see the separation there? I'm this part, you're that part. He goes on, if you remain in me and I in you, do you see the connection there? Then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Wait, Jesus, But my kindergarten teacher told me that if I just believe in myself, I can do anything. I can become anything. Are are, are you saying that's wrong? Jesus is saying, yes, that's wrong. He's not being grumpy. He's not telling you to get off of his lawn. He's saying simply, look, apart from me, you can do nothing. Why? Because you have a sap problem. Sap is that gooey, sticky stuff. It's kind of an annoyance on the outside of the plant or the outside of the tree. It's a very important part of the tree because it's actually the lifeblood of the organism. So if a branch is going to produce a beautiful flower, leaves, fruit, then it's going to be because it has gotten sap from the vine that it's been connected to. And if there's no fruit on the branches, if the branches are barren, then it means that there must be a disconnection to the lifeblood, the rest of the vine. And Jesus is saying, if this is true in your life, it is a major, major problem. If you look at your life and you call yourself a Christian, 
And yet there is no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then Jesus wants to tell you this morning, you may be disconnected from the true vine. He wants to spare us the shame of that failure. He wants to spare us the consequences of that failure. That's why he's going to say some hard things to us. Things like what happens to a branch that is disconnected from the true vine. Verse 1, God the Father, described as a gardener. The gardener, God the Father, wants the same thing that in this day every Jewish farmer would have wanted that owned a vineyard. Wanted to find good, healthy grapes that came on branches that were connected to a good, healthy vine. And if you didn't find good, healthy grapes, it meant there was a disconnection problem. And Jesus says some hard stuff here. What does the Father do when He finds a branch that has no fruit? Verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, what happens to those branches? Verse 6, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. They go to the burn pile. Now, Jesus is describing a harsh reality, but a true reality, that life lived apart from Him, insisting on your own autonomy, insisting that you produce your own fruit and your own kind of fruit, that leads to an eternity of autonomy, an eternity apart from your God in hell. This is not something that is especially exciting to talk about, but Jesus talks about it. So we have to wrestle with it. I want you to know that Jesus is not being harsh by mentioning hell here. He's actually being loving because he wants to warn us. Look at your life. Is there fruit generated by the Holy Spirit? If there's not, wake up and realize that you may not have a connection to me, the true vine. Now, sometimes when we hear preachers talk about hell, you think of the hellfire and brimstone preacher, the guy gets really worked up and he's saying something like, all those sinners out there, those are the people that are going to hell. Jesus is not actually talking about sinners out there. He's talking about people who are a part of what we would call the visible church. People who sit in pews, people who show up, have a connection to the church. Jesus is saying, if you have a connection to the church and you think that your connection to the church means that you have a connection to Jesus, then you have a big problem and you need to make sure that there is a living, personal, vital connection to Jesus himself. And he may be warning you this morning of that very reality. It's something to think about. Look in your heart. Am I just here because I was raised to be here, like you heard Bryce say, but there's no real meaning and personal connection to Jesus himself? If there is, Jesus is warning you. He wants something better for you. He wants you to be connected to him. Darko, the NBA player, I told you he, he wanted to crawl out of his own skin because of the shame of failure, being known as a failure. He said, I was so lost, I just wanted to come back home and live another life. Well, that's exactly what he did. He eventually retired from the NBA in rather unglorious fashion, 
moved back to Serbia, married uh, his wife, started to raise children, and started to produce fruit because he actually became an apple farmer. That's cool. Um, The best part of it all is that he met Jesus in the process. And so maybe the whole world thinks that Darko is one of the biggest failures in NBA history, but his God does not think that. Maybe everyone wants to shame him, remind him of his failure, but all he experiences from his God is love, affection, acceptance, applause, the smile of his heavenly Father. Why? Because he's connected to the true vine, Jesus. And that's how we begin to really change. We make sure that we're connected to the true vine, Jesus. And then after that, we need to remain connected to Jesus by depending desperately on Him and none other. Now, I don't mean that a true Christian can be disconnected from Jesus, okay? You're not going to find that theology in the Gospel of John. It doesn't work for John. What I am saying, though, is that there is this natural tendency inside of all of us to be saved by Jesus. Oh, good. Thank you. And then to start to forget, right? To start to drift away, to start to think, I probably got this. I'm good. I don't, I don't need you. I'm, you know, I've got the things I provide myself. I'm actually a pretty good person. I think I'll be okay without you, Jesus. And we forget. and We begin to trust in ourselves, become self-reliant. Well, how do we battle that? How do we remain connected to Jesus? The answer is we swim toward our weakness. Weakness is a scary thing. Nobody wants to be called weak. I'm saying we should swim toward our weakness. Here's why I'm saying that. Um, I don't know how much television you watch. I hope not too much. But one of the greatest weeks in modern television is Shark Week, right? You have this in Columbia too. I know. I know you do. Uh, Shark Week is a week that Discovery Channel says, okay, sharks, they're really cool. We're going to dedicate a whole week of programming to sharks. Uh, An author and uh, uh, counselor that I really like um, named Jay Stringer uh, wrote about an interview with one of the cameramen of Shark Week. So this is the guy, puts on his scuba gear and goes down with his camera and gets up front and personal, right, to these giant creatures. And he was asked in this interview, what do you do if a great white shark starts to swim at you because he wants to eat you? This is what he said. You do something counterintuitive. You take your camera and you swim directly at the shark with your camera. For whatever reason, this triggers a defense mechanism in the shark. They're like, wait a minute, I'm a shark. Everything in the ocean swims away from me. But this is swimming towards me, and with that, the shark swims away. In life, when we experience weakness, often our response is to say, I want to get away from that. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to acknowledge that it's true. I want to be strong and self-reliant. I don't want to talk about my weakness. That is when we are in real danger What God wants us to do is to swim right at our weakness, to acknowledge it, to take it head on. God wants us, you and me, to become a community of Jesus followers who regularly acknowledge that we are weak. 
Little ones to him belong. They are weak. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. It is a travesty that that song is just given to children who are little and weak and depend on their moms and their dads for everything. That needs to be our anthem too. We are weak. I am weak. But I belong to Jesus. And my Jesus, He is strong. Jesus is saying that in this passage. Remain in me, verse 4, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is saying, don't get into the dangerous habit of thinking that you can do life without me because you can't. You cannot. This is what Paul is saying as he writes to this young church in Corinth. He doesn't write about how awesome and strong he is. He writes to them about his weakness. Listen to this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For Paul, one of the most dangerous things that could have happened is that his thorn in the flesh was taken away. And he starts to feel kind of strong and he starts to forget how much he needs Jesus. We don't run away from our weakness. We swim right at our weakness. I know I'm weak. I know I can't change myself. But I belong to Jesus. His grace is sufficient. He changes me. And I participate in that process to the degree that I depend desperately on Him and everything He has for me. I am weak, but my Jesus is strong. I just want you to dream with me for a second. What if we, what if our witness to the rest of the world was not showing all those people out there how good we are and how moral we are? What if we showed them how weak we are? I mean, what if we led with our weakness and our neediness? Don't you think that people might start to think of Jesus as someone who is safe to be around? Instead of thinking of Jesus as a Santa Claus who's going to laugh at you when you talk about how much or how weak you are and just tell you to try harder, don't you think people are going to come to the church with their mess and their brokenness and all their issues, all their needs, and I would hope that when they, when they walk into our doors, what they would find is a community of people that look at them and say, oh, you're like me. You're a mess. You're weak. You need Jesus. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family where we desperately depend on Jesus for everything. That would change the world, I think. That would change the world. We are weak, but He is strong, and so we depend desperately on him. Some of you are like, okay, pastor, you've been talking for 20-something minutes now. Where's the change part? Tell me, give me the change. Step one, connecting to Jesus. Step two, depending on Jesus. Never stop depending on Jesus. And now, here's the change, the pruning. It's the pruning. 
this is where things get a little hard and maybe a little scary for you. Verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, His father's the gardener. The gardener father uh, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Listen to this. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. All right, here's what Jesus is saying. You're already clean because you are connected to me, the true vine, because you're connected to my finished work for you on the cross to pay for your sins and to give you my righteousness, this inseparable union with Christ that you experience. But frankly, there is still some cleanup that needs to be done. There's some stuff in your life that is a mess. And this is what the Father focuses in on, the things here and now in time and in space, in our reality, that need to change. And for that change to happen, the Father pulls out His pruning knife. What is pruning? When you try to, when you got, try to grow something, a plant, um, pruning is routine maintenance for the thing you're trying to grow and cause to flourish. A good gardener sees a branch that has some dead leaves on it or some shriveled fruit And a good gardener takes out his or her pruning knife and says, oh, there must be some disease here. And I care about this plant enough that I don't want that disease to spread and to choke out and to kill that plant. And so I'm going to cut it out before it dies. This is what God does with us, with our lives. Uh, Tim Keller, when he's writing his book on marriage, uh, refers to the to the story, I don't know if it's a true story or not, about Michelangelo, the great sculptor artist. Michelangelo was asked, how did you carve your magnificent sculpture of David? And this is what he supposedly said. I just looked inside the marble and I just took away the bits that weren't David. I looked inside the marble and I just chipped away at the bits that weren't David, wait a minute, chipping away, cutting, pruning, all of this sounds painful. Is this painful? Yes. Yes, pruning hurts because the Father is chipping away parts of us that are sinful, parts of us that we actually love and we don't want to to let go of. He's chipping away parts of us that don't look like Jesus. How does pruning happen? It happens when we do stuff like this. When we all come around God's word and we say, all right, I'm under this. Teach me. And you have experiences where you walk away from it and say, oh my gosh, I never saw it, but we can't be doing this because we're not married yet. Or, oh, the way I spoke to her last week. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I got to go i got to go make that right. Pruning happens when you suffer. Pruning happens when you experience loss of something or someone that's important to you. Pruning happens or has happened to the person who says, you know, I used to find such fulfillment in my work. It meant everything to me. I thought it was great until God took it away from me. And then I realized how unhealthy my relationship with my work was. All that is Pruning. Pruning hurts. It's God's curriculum for you. And I'll just, in a moment of transparency, God's curriculum for my family in the next year scares me. (laughs) Because we're going to leave here on May 12th, and we're going to move to the U.S., 
And we don't know how long we're going to be there, exactly where we're going to be. And we're going to experience this sense of restless wandering where there's not really home, a place. We're going to go to a new culture. We're going to have to depend on God to provide every single thing financially, relationally that we need. And that's scary. That's pruning. It's God's curriculum in our hearts. It's going to hurt, but it's good. It's good. This is just what Hebrews 12 says. Um, what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. Listen, pruning hurts because it's done with a knife. But there's good news in this. The hands that hold that knife, according to Jesus and the writer of Hebrews, those hands are fatherly hands. Those hands are fatherly hands. The hands that hold that pruning knife, they know a thing or two about parasites and weeds that would creep into our lives and choke us out and harm us. The hands that hold that pruning knife, well, they know a thing or two about growing life and flourishing life because those hands created the world and created us and those hands know exactly how life is best to be lived. The hands that are holding that pruning knife, well, those hands also hold the cosmos together, sustain you, every part about you, know you intimately, every single detail about you to the degree that when he sees something coming along that's dangerous, he says, I've got to cut, I've got to clean, I've got to prune. And you know that it's meant for your good because he loves you. Because those are the same hands that wounded his eternal son on the cross. Why? In order to save you. Those are the same hands that took all of our dirt, our filth, our sin, our shame, our failure, and laid them on his son Jesus. Punishing his son Jesus. Picking his son Jesus up, taking him to the burn pile that he would experience the punishment that you and I actually deserve. So that you and I could have life in Christ and we could stand as the righteousness, the perfection of Christ, belonging in God's family as beloved daughters and sons. Pruning hurts, but the hands that hold the pruning knife are good hands, fatherly hands, loving hands. So how do we really change? It's not by trying really hard. It's not. It's through connection with Jesus, the true vine. It's through dependence on Jesus. And it's with our hearts open to the Father to cut away all that is in our lives that doesn't look like Jesus. And the end result of all this, did you hear Jesus? He said, all of it leads to joy. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's pray. Lord, we want that joy. We want fullness of life and flourishing. And we want you to do that work in our hearts, but we acknowledge that it scares us, Lord. 
But the reality is we can't change ourselves. Only you can change us. So please, Lord, do your work in us. Give us the peace of Christ as you do and grow us toward Jesus, the true vine. This we pray in his name. Amen. I'll invite you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.